0: Church, just as a real uh, uh, A calling from God really and God has placed this on our hearts And all we've done is We've, we've positioned ourselves in the boat And we've just invited people to come and join us Come and join us on, the, on this adventure Come and join us as we just go And, and bring life wherever, wherever we are I remember on our first service in the summer We um, we read uh, a passage of scripture from Isaiah 61 and it's, uh, it's something that God has placed in inside of us. And if we could create a mission statement, I think we would go for Isaiah 61. Uh, but all the sort of communications experts would say, it's too long. You know, it's not bite size. it's full of jargon, you wouldn't ever fit it on your business card. But it kind of sums up what we're about and uh, even though it's not very attractional... It, it, if we read this out in the streets of Balaam or Clapham or Tutin, we might get stuff thrown at us. Um, but over the years, God has just placed this on a heart, the kind of church that he wants to, to build in, across South London and beyond. Um, so I just wanted to read it to you again. And it says, it's from Isaiah 61. Uh, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is, up, is on me because God has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to, provide all, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, and bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, for the display of His splendour. And it goes on, and goes on, and goes on. It's um, one of my favourite favourite uh, passages in all, all the Scripture. And um, throughout the ages, God will God speaks to His people in all kinds of ways, doesn't He? He, he speaks them audibly. He speaks to them through the Bible. The Bible is the best place to hear from God. It's full of richness of God. Uh, God speaks through nature. Do you remember those wise men? They looked at the stars and they found the baby Jesus. And many of us have had unusual circumstances or coincidences which can only be down to God. And so we believe that God doesn't just speak to us like an Englishman. He doesn't just speak to us in a South London accent. He, uh, he's, there's loads of different ways God speaks to us. And our, and, our, and our role as just followers of Jesus is just to tune in, just hear what, hear what God's saying to us now, just to tune in and to hoist up our sail and uh, just to allow the Spirit of God to take us where, where, he, will, where he wills. <coughs> about five years ago, uh, over, over a period of about six or eight weeks, a couple of months... I kept waking up at four sixteen, and I'd look at my clock and I'm um, yeah, four sixteen, or I'd wake up about four eighteen, and it took me a few weeks. I was getting really confused. I didn't know whether it was bit chilly the night before, or was I having too much coffee or sugar? or Was, you know, was I peaking at four um, sixteen? And just through my ignorance, I didn't really think it was God. Until about a month, every night I'd wake up 416, 418, 416, 418. And I, um, so I thought maybe that maybe this is the Lord, maybe God's saying something, you know, God might be speaking by waking me up. And I felt prompted to go to Luke, I felt God say, I just opened up Luke 416, and then as I read it again and again and again, all the talks began to come into place. And all the, uh, all the jigsaw pieces fit. And it's where Jesus, he, he goes to the temple and he opens up the scroll. And Luke 4.16 says, and he says of himself, the spirit of the Lord is on me. The Lord has anointed me. And, and then he rolls up the scroll and he puts it away. And it, it's his mi- ministry on earth. It's his, this is what he does on earth. Jesus was saying this about himself and his mandate. But I don't know about you, but how many of you know that that Jesus he then turns to us and he says, You can not do that as well? Hmm. He said it himself, didn't he? He said, I am the light of the world. He says, I'm the light of the world. But then there's another passage and he says, You're the light of the world. <laughs> so he turns it, he says, I'm the light, but he says that you're the you're the light of the world. You're like a lamp on a hill that cannot be healed. Jesus, he healed thousands and thousands of people during his ministry. And then he turns to us and he says, now you go, you go and heal the sick. You go and cleanse the lepers. You go and raise the dead, You go, because freely you've received, now freely you, you go. Um, and so at that time, as I was waking up, 4.16, 4.18, I felt God say, and um, I, don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever said this before publicly, but I felt God say, be, the, be a pastor in Balam. Uh, it was about five years ago, and he said, "The way, the way you walk around the streets <coughs> of Balam, act as if you're a pastor in Balam. Act as if is that you, you are here to bring heaven to earth to people. Act as if that you're here to bring the care and the love of Jesus wherever you are." And so, we we just try to do that. We just try to care and demonstrate the love and the power of God, and just to invite Jesus. In, invite people into a relationship with Jesus, and that same Jesus, I believe, has called each one of you and each one of us to be to be pastors wherever we are, to be His ambassadors. To uh, we, call about, we talk about representing Jesus? We represent Jesus wherever we are. We present Jesus wherever we are. So you might be a single mum. You might work in a multinational corporation. You might work in a coffee shop or run your own business. You might be unemployed, looking for work. You might be wandering around your community. Uh, You might know lots of people uh, at the school gate or elsewhere. Or you might just have a few, few friends. People you call friends. Whatever circumstance you're in, God has called you to represent him. Wherever you are. And I want to call you today into that same call that he called me five years ago. Be a pastor for people wherever you are. Uh, care for people, show love to people, show kindness to people, show encouragement to people, and just show them Jesus. Uh, John and Debbie Wright, who, who who run the vineyard movement across UK and Ireland, said this, this last week, um, the vineyard movement is a, the Vineyard is a movement of ordinary people Led by ordinary people. Achieving extraordinary things by the grace of God. I I just love that. The Vineyard Movement is ordinary people. Just look around. Just look around. (laughs) Ordinary people. No superstars. Led by ordinary people. Again, look around. Look around. Ordinary people. Achieving extraordinary things by the grace of God. And that's our call. There's no superstars. There's no white shiny suits or um, lots of gold jewellery or bright white teeth. It's just ordinary people. We, we'll never get a fog machine in, in this church. We'll never, buy, you know, we'll never buy a fog machine. Will, you'll never see anyone come out I'm from beneath the fog machine out to the, the audience. You'll never, never, ever see that. Because it's about wherever you are, Wherever you are, you just take in the love and the power of Jesus. Wherever you are. Wherever you are. And so this prophecy is... A, is this, this, sorry, this scripture in Isaiah, it's a messianic, messianic prophecy which was fulfilled in Jesus. So when he took the scroll, he said, this is now fulfilled. Because I've arrived. Jesus has arrived on earth. And I imagine this, this scripture at the time when Jesus read it, It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger just turning up with a big bazooka because it's loaded, full of powerful stuff. And he says, I'll be back. Um, (laughs) So the prophecy is about Jesus, about the Messiah's ministry and the kind of ministry that Jesus now calls New Testament believers into. Words like anointed are in here. Words like it's good news hint to us as believers who are who, are, who have the opportunity now to continue the work of Christ. And so here Jesus says in, in John 14 12, truly, truly, so he's telling the <laughs> truth. I'm, and this is really, when he, whenever he says truly, truly, he's really meaning it. <laughs> Jesus is always telling the truth, but he's really meaning it. I'm telling you the truth. I say to you, he who believes in me, the works I do, he will also do. Mm. Do you remember what it says after that? And greater work. How's that? How does that work? And greater works he will do or she will do than than he does. That's amazing. Jesus was pretty cool. He did some quite interesting things, didn't he? Just his ministry. But he says to us, greater works will do. It's quite scary. (laughs) I'd be quite scared of that. Um, And so in this Isaiah passage, we uh, probably over the, however long this church runs and the years years and years and years and years that you're involved, We'll probably come back to this passage again and again, but these last few weeks, I've just felt prompted to, to look at... Uh, there's lots of different types of people mentioned here, so there's the poor, there's the mourning. The um, over the last couple of weeks, I felt urged to talk about where it says the, the, the prisoners and the captives, and to look at what's the difference between, between them both. I spent 10 years in prison. Um, I ran, I ran various courses, I wasn't resident there, I ran various courses in prisons across London and Kent and across the country, helping prisoners and their families cope with life inside and, and outside. And I, I've seen many, many stories of transformation over, over the years. The Bible clearly tells us to go and visit prisoners. It's there, prisoners, uh, it's there for us to visit. Jesus says in Matthew 25, when answering the question posed to him, when did we see you in prison? These people asking these kind of Jewish people say, when did we see you in prison? And Jesus says, he, he says, whatever you did for one of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I've asked Alexander McLean to come and uh, share with us about the work that he does in prison uh, and the things that he's involved with and to, just to begin talking about the heart behind a prisoner. Uh, so why don't we, why don't we welcome him? <coughs> If, um, they're just a gift to us. These are a gift to us. So uh, let's
1: give uh, a round of applause. Thank you, Steve. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I was told I had about 10 minutes to share something about the heart of a prisoner, good and bad. Uh, I spent all my adult life working in prisons. I started when I was 18 working in prisons in Afri- East Africa. i spent time in about 130 prisons all over the world. Since I was 21, I've been a magistrate, so I send people to prison. In The last few years, um, I found myself in circles where I'm mixing with some very rich people. Um, and I see that there are other kinds of prisons that many of us live in, prisons of um, possessions and money. Um. But today, I'm going to reflect briefly on some of my experiences in uh, prisons in East Africa. Some of the encouragement that I think um, we can all draw from the lives of people in prison. Briefly, to go into my background, when I was um, 16, I started volunteering every week at Trinity Hospice in Clapham. I became interested in how dying people were looked after. When I was 18, I went to Uganda to volunteer at a hospice. Um, one day, I went to Uganda's National Referral Hospital, where the hospice was taking morphine to a patient. I noticed a man lying naked on the floor by the toilet on a plastic sheet in a pool of urine. Uh, the nurse said that he'd been found by the police unconscious in a the market. They thought he had diabetes. They didn't know his name. He didn't have any relatives. They were waiting for him to die. I realized that if you didn't have uh, family members to look after you, you wouldn't be fed, given drinks, um, or cared for. As I looked at him, I saw the flesh on his bottom and back was rotten down to the bone because um, he'd been lying unconscious like that for so long. I returned the next day, bought a basin and some soap in a towel, I found a nurse trained by the hospice. Together we bathed him. We tried to advocate for him, give him some clothes and some sheets. I spoke to the doctors and nurses on his behalf. I did that for five days, bathing him, feeding him, advocating for him. I came on the sixth day and he died the night before. He was lying dead and naked on the floor. After a while, a porter came with a trolley with a dead woman, put him on top of her, and said they'd go to a mass grave uh, together with all those who didn't have any relatives was a turning point in my life because I realized that there are a category of people whose lives have no value to their community. I think that growing up in London, we have the idea that everyone's life is somehow and precious to some extent. But I realized that there was a category of people who lived and died like animals. I spent three months on that board, bathing and feeding patients dying of AIDS and TB who'd been abandoned by their families. Many of those I cared for were prisoners. Usually they were teenage boys about the same age as me. In Uganda, about a third of prisoners are there for having underage sex, which carries a maximum penalty of death. So a 16-year-old boy who has consensual sex with his 16-year-old um, girlfriend who has committed an offence can be in prison for um, very many years. I saw that these prisoners had usually been in prison for years without trial. I'd find them in hospital, handcuffed to the beds, sometimes coming from the police station and having been beaten, uh, sometimes with very serious injuries. And the doctors and nurses would reject them because they were prisoners they could starve to death in hospital or die of dehydration. This caused me to visit Uganda's maximum security prison. I ended up refurbishing the hospital during my gap year. Uh, and a few years later at university, I established the African Prisons Project to bring dignity and hope to men and women and children in prison in Africa. Initially establishing prison libraries and clinics. Seeing that by itself, the library doesn't change much. If prison staff went into the library and beat the prisoners, say, hey, you bastards, what are you bothering with books for? You think that can change your life? you'll do nothing. So we started employing librarians and teachers, lawyers and counselors to provide basic health and education and legal services to prisoners and to prison staff. We realized you couldn't serve one without the other. We saw the prison work wasn't sexy. And it was impossible to um, employ enough staff to meet the needs of prisoners and prison staff. But we realized it wasn't necessary because I had many leaders in prison. I thought about the people who inspired me most, people like Martin Luther King or Gandhi, Um, who spent time in prison and went on to change the world. It seemed that prison could be like a refiner's fire. Prison could destroy self-esteem, destroy courage, remove a sense of one's uh, personal identity, one's own gifts and talents, or it could build boldness, build resilience, build determination. The organization that I um, now run with a team of 35 staff works to identify and develop leaders amongst prisoners and prison staff and to equip them to, um, to serve their communities and nations. We help prisons and prison staff get law degrees with the University of London by correspondence, helping prisoners to become lawyers um, and equip uh, people in prison to provide basic literacy and health services in their prisons and beyond. <coughs> I've been fortunate to get to know um, hundreds of prisoners and prison staff um, during the years of doing this work. I wanted to share the story of one um, Who's had a particular impact on me. I met her first when I was 19. Her name's Susan. She was given the death penalty when she was 21 for killing her husband. Uganda has some of the highest rates of domestic violence in the world. It's commonly said that if your husband doesn't beat you, then he doesn't love you. So hmm. Susan had killed her husband, was sentenced to death. From death row, she taught herself and did her A-levels. She established a choir, wrote songs for them. She was a leader in the prison church. It was clear that she had gifts and talents. In 2011, we got her admitted to the University of London to study for a degree in law from death row. She performed well. She was one of the University of London's best students in human rights law. She established a legal aid clinic at her prison, writing bail applications and appeals for her fellow inmates. About 18 months ago, she got her diploma in law given to her by Uganda's most senior judge, who said, what you've done is remarkable. When you get out of prison, and she'd been to court and spoken on her own behalf, had her death sentence overturned, and in fact was released last week. When you get out of prison, you should apply to become a judge. She said, I won't. She said, first I'm coming to London to graduate at the Barbican um, with the, the other graduates, and then I'm doing my master's in trust law. Because I've seen that in Uganda, when a man dies, often his relatives come in and take the land and home and possessions from his widow and children, and they're left with nothing. She said, the law can change this, and the law can protect this vulnerable group. Working with people like Susan has taught me that basically we're all the same. Uh, I'm not sure uh, what, what I can say about the heart of a prisoner, because all of us are potential prisoners. All of us do good and bad. All of us need forgiveness. Just because one has stolen, there's much more to them than being a thief. Just because one has raped, there's more to them than being a rapist. Because one has killed, there's more to them than being a murderer. I guess that this should be um, something that as Christians it's easy to accept if we, we look at the Bible and we think about um, the way that the the church was founded. David killed. Jesus was um, crucified next to a thief, and he said um, that today you'll join me in the kingdom of heaven. Paul terrorized and was responsible and um, for the killing of Christians. I guess if he was he was alive today, he might be a member of ISIS. And yet God used all of these people. God can use us all, regardless of. Um, What we've done, how old we are, how rich or poor we are, what our background is. Being in prison has told me that if we're ready to take that step, if we're ready for God to use us, he can use us in remarkable ways. I spend time in prisons without toilets, without electricity, without water, and I see prisoners serving their peers. I think about how this country evolved. For, For the majority of Britain's history, we didn't have any welfare state. The government didn't provide for the sick, the government didn't provide health care, the government didn't provide education, it was the churches who who were doing it, it was the churches who established, uh, many hospitals in this country, who established basic education, who gave um, accommodation to the poor. In the prisons I work in around Africa, the churches are playing a similar role because the authorities simply don't have the resources they need. It provides a challenge to me as a Christian living in London in 2016, to think about um, what more I can do and what we can do um, as British Christians to step out in faith, to serve. Often we find excuses um, not to, but I see people in prison, women who don't have sanitary um, pants or underwear, who have their children growing up in prison with them. They don't have um, basic resources for their children. But they say, God, use me. I'm ready to teach in the prison school. I'm ready to lead an agricultural project in this prison. I'm ready to pre- uh, preach. Um, in the prison church, and they bring remarkable change. It's possible I've got a one-minute video clip um, featuring worship on death row in Uganda. Um, Hannah and Frederick and I uh, regularly attend church there, and this is from last um, summer. This is a church that has around five chairs, no roof, and most of the time uh, no pastor from outside. Prisoners lead the service, and yet there's a passion for God. There's an intensity of worship. And there's a culture of service and compassion coming from these people who have nothing that I've never seen anywhere else. <laughs> to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. I've seen that in prison, serving brings hope. As human beings, each of us need a sense of um, purpose. Each of us can get satisfaction at the end of the day reflecting on our day and thinking about the lives of others that we've changed. I've seen people in prison changing the lives of their peers in remarkable ways with very limited resources. A woman who's maybe completed primary school, and she said, train me, I want to become a teacher and to teach my fellow women in prison how to read and write. When they went into prison, their husband had to sign on their behalf, or they had to use a thumbprint to sign forms. I want to teach these women how to write their names. And in doing so, that woman gets joy and satisfaction that comes with serving others. Uh, so my challenge for myself and for all of us is to see how can we step out further. How can we ask God to use us, and how can we have the faith to do so? Not to see all the miles ahead, but the faith to take the first step and say, God, I'm ready to be uncomfortable. I'm ready to go into an environment that's new to to me, but I want to serve you. Uh, I want to leave you with this um, quote that I like very much that's been attributed to St. Teresa of Avila. She said, Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks, compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Christ has no body on earth but yours. Amen.
0: Thanks, Alexander. Thank you. Uh, as, as Alexander was talking, I was just crossing off things that I was going to say, so <laughs> bear with me. Um, uh, some of us have got these specific calls to specific ministries, haven't we? Uh, but wherever we are, uh, every day, we're extenders of God ki- God's kingdom. So we're a city based church, and we need passion. We need the passion and love to see reformation and restoration. But we also need brains. We also need brains for our cities as well. And we need people in all spheres of life. Uh, We need people who are called to prisons. Definitely, definitely need people who are called to prisons. We need people in business. We need people in schools, doctors, cleaners, mothers, fathers, bloggers and bankers. We need (laughs) all kinds of people in all walks of life. Um, Wherever you work, rest and play. We, we can be extenders of God's God's kingdom, and God has placed you there to be light. That's the note. He's placed you there to be light to represent Him. So I, when I look at you guys, I see a room full of leaders and a room full of pastors, a room full of people who who are carriers and extenders of God's kingdom. So I'm going to talk to you as leaders for for the final final bit. Um, whenever you meet people, the question we want to find out is are they a prisoner or are they a captive as it says in Isaiah and I just want to explore as quick as I can the, the difference between the two and then as leaders in the room, what can we do to help people if they're, if they're a prisoner or a captive. Um, so spiritual captives, let me just go over here, spiritual captives, um, uh, I want to propose that they believe in lies. That they're believing lies, but believing lies about themselves. Whereas prisoners, because how many of you know that you can you can be in a you don't have to be locked up to be in prison? Mm. And I believe prisoners are there because of the stuff they do or the things that they are that they are doing. And the Bible the Bible calls it sin. And so, as we meet people, and as we counsel people, as we pastor people. My hunch is they're either captive by something, uh, either lies, or they're in prison because of the stuff they're doing. So I just wanted to talk about that. Um, uh, I'm going to skip that. <laughs> <laughs> so we hear prisoners are sent to prison by a judge. Prisoners who broke the law or who have sinned uh, have to have to repent to be released. And so as 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 followers of Jesus, we're we helping people to to turn and shift towards towards Jesus. Let me just say, sin, uh, sin for dummies is simply um, just a short short phrase really. Uh, sin is any any deliberate action, attitude, or thought that goes against God. Uh, some of us think that sin is this obvious act, such as sort of murder or adultery or theft, but um, we, we have these two types of sin sins of impulse and sins of the heart and uh, sins of impulse say I see something I want it so I take it I see that, I really want that I'm going to have that and we think about the obvious things um, like murder, adultery you know, theft uh, but sins of the heart are, are slightly subtler it's things like um, that things that are going on, on the inside of the person so jealousy, hatred anger, bitterness um, and unforgiveness I, myself and other people I think at the root of lots of people's entrapment if you like is unforgiveness uh, I would say and I'm just going to throw this out I'm going to say about 80% of people who are trapped whether that's in prison through stuff that they're doing or stuff that they've done, I think 80% of the root is unforgiveness. That's just my, my observation. It's just my, you know, as we, Viv and I and others, have talked and prayed and talked about and prayed for people. Unforgiveness is at the root of most of the stuff that we do. Um, whereas, uh, So we hear the story. Remember, uh, we talked about this. The story of the servant who, that was forgiven like a, a million pounds. By the king. Do you remember that story? He's forgiven this huge debt in Matthew 18. Um, but then he goes out after being forgiven a million pounds. He goes out and he sees the servant. He sees another servant who who owed him ten thousand pounds. And he said, "I'm never going to forgive you for that. I want that back. I'm going to send you into prison." And then the king heard about it, and he said, "Right, you need to be placed back into prison." And the Bible says that with tormentors until you forgive. Tormentors us until you let go, until you forgive. And so there's this kind of spiritual law. If we don't forgive, we're going to be trapped. And it's our choice to forgive. It's not a feeling. Um, and we've said it before, and we're going to say it again. You can't rely on your feelings. They're not the best indicators for your soul. Feelings are probably the worst things to rely on. I f- I, you know, if you're going to feel something, they're the worst thing. Forgiveness is a, is a choice. And if we don't forgive, the spiritual law says that how can, how can other people, how can the Father in heaven forgive you? So it's we choose to stay in this prison. Whereas people that are in captive are, are held captive by lies. They're held captive by another, another force. And we think about POWs or prisons of war, uh, where they're held captive by, by an enemy. And um, at the roots of captivity is lies. People that are believing lies about themselves, believing lies about their identity. And they've given the enemy permission to entrap them, to keep them captive. Now, we're, we're probably not going to be a church that will say there's a demon under every chair or under every leaflet. Or in, you know, we're not going to be a church that if I, if I stub my toe, I'm, I'm, not, I'm never going to say, the devil, the, the devil made me do that. Um, but it is true that if we allow lies to continue, it gives us it gives the, the enemy a, a route or a foothold for us to keep, keep trapped. And so the way we free people who believe in lies is get them to renounce the lies and believe the truth. So for people in captivity, we're helping them, what's the lie that we're believing? What's the lie that we're thinking? And we're trying to get rid of that. And now this is, this is the truth. Whereas prisoners, we're just getting them to say, flee from your stuff. Flee from the things that are help, helping you, helping that are keeping you prisoner. Flee from that sin. Flee from the things that are going to keep you separate, separated from God, from, from each other, and from yourself. Just flee from doing that. Um, and then receive the forgiveness that comes, comes through Jesus. So my hunch is over the years as you lead people and as you pass the people, just have that in mind. The person comes to you and says, I'm really struggling with this. I, I'm really struggling with that. I'm, my identity, I, I just can't get over this. Are they held captive by a lie? Or do they need to flee from their I was swear them. <laughs> flee from their stuff. Um, my hunch is there's you know, we, we talk about physical prisons or physical captivity. My hunch is in a room like this. You're thinking, where am I? Oh, actually, I'm both. (laughs) I'm in both camps. Um, Well, there's great, great news today. In in an instant, because of what Jesus has done 2,000 years ago, we can walk in freedom now. Uh, It's said that after 60 seconds after your salvation... You were able to raise the dead. Mm. 60 seconds after your salvation, you have the very Holy Spirit, the, the God man himself living and breathing inside of you. And um, so there's an invitation. There's an invitation. If you've never received Jesus, if you've never said, uh, I'm trapped, or I'm, I'm going to open the door of my heart to Jesus, within 60 seconds, you can be free from the. From the stuff that you've done in the past, or the things that others have done to you, where you can forgive people, or the lies that you've lived in about yourself. You see, when God got in the people business, he, made, he, he decided, I'm going to make people, I'm going to make human beings like myself. He didn't, ju- he didn't then go, oh, I didn't know they were going to mess up. I didn't really. I didn't. I didn't think about that. You know. I thought you know, it'd be quite nice to make Adam and Eve, and it's quite, quite nice to make men and women. He didn't then suddenly go, oh, I didn't think they were going to muck up. What, what, oh, I... and he looked at your life, and when he made your life, he didn't think, oh, I, I made a mistake then. When he when he created all of us, he, he spoke identity, he spoke truth, he spoke our destiny over us, and uh, our our. Our sort of plan and our mission is to help other people to know who they were, who, who, who were they created to be. Do you remember, we've got this short amount of time on earth, we've got this tiny bit of time on earth, and then we've got all of eternity to enjoy God. Our, our, our role and our work of, work of Christ is to, to help people in this, this tiny, tiny, short age to dis- help them to discover who they, who they are. And part of that is freeing yourself. So uh, in a short while, we're going to pray for people. And if you, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, we're going to invite you to do that. Or if you want to actually do business with God and sort some of the lies out or some of the stuff that you've done in the past, we can, we can do that really, really easily, really, really simply. Um, as I finish. I promise I'll finish. Um, just an illustration that helped me, understand, helped me understand a few years ago about the cross. What Jesus achieved for us two thousand years ago. Um, Two people went through school and university together, and they were good, good friends. But at the end of university, they went off different paths. One became a judge, and the other's life just spiraled down and down and down and down, and he ended up being a criminal. One day, the criminal ended up in court, and he realized it was his friend who was the judge his old school friend, who was, who was now the judge. And he, so the, he had committed a crime and he pleaded guilty. And the judge, he actually recognised his old friend and he was faced with this dilemma, uh, which again was what God faces. The Bible talks about God being the judge and we're, you know, we're, we're in the dock, if you like. Uh, so as the man, he was judged, so he had to be just. He couldn't just simply let the man off because he was his friend. On the other hand, he thought, how can I be merciful because he is my friend and I do love him and I do know him. So the judge fined him the correct amount uh, as he was the judge and the penalty for the offence. And that was the justice, that was justice. He committed a crime, he'd done wrong, he admitted he had to pay the penalty.
1: Then what the judge did
0: was quite interesting. He came, off, he, he came out of his position as a judge and then he wrote a cheque his friend for the full amount of the fine, of the penalty, and he gave it to his friend, saying that he would pay the penalty for him. This was a real act of mercy and justice, and so more, you know, it tells a little bit about um, how God does for us. Um, I don't want to say your Father in heaven, who created you, loves you very much, and He loves you more than any earthly judge. And he loves you more than any earthly parent that loves a child. Uh, and the cost that Jesus did was so much greater than what the, this illustration says. And it cost <laughs> more than money, low, a lot more than money. He came Himself in the person of Jesus and paid the sin, paid the penalty for sin, paid the penalty for the things that have happened. But God is not soft on crime. He, he, he's in His justice. God judges us because we're guilty. But then in his mercy and love, he comes down and God became a man and he paid the price for us so that we can be free. And that's the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So um, what we're going to do, we're just going invite, to invite you just to close your eyes. And um, we're going to just pray, begin to pray. Let's ask the question, do you want to be free from the lies that are in your head? Do you want to be free from uh, from the things that separate us from God? Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. ask Jesus to, to come into your heart if you'd like to do that I'm just going to ask you, just show me just put, put up your hand and uh, just so that we can uh, pray for you, bless you. If, you if you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, why don't you just put up your hand and uh, we can pray for you